0: This reading is going to be coming out of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become Holy? And the priest answered, No. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, It will become unclean. Then Haggai said, So is this people, and so is the nation before me, declares the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. But now do consider from this day onward, before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord. From the time when one came to a grain heap of twenty measures, there would be only ten. And one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measured, there would be only twenty. I smote you and every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider from this day onward. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, it has not borne fruit. Yet from this day on, I will bless you.
1: You'll go ahead and have a seat this morning, but uh, keep your... uh... Keep your place in the word. We're going to be in the word this morning there in the second chapter of Haggai. I want to start just by acknowledging the fact that we've got a lot of kids uh, in the room. This is a church that we've had a lot of blessing in terms of kids. And uh, we have not been able to really build out the kind of like big kid city that we we want. And so we've got a lot of big kids in the room. So I want to start with a question for you this morning. And it's one that actually relates and kind of comes out of. I think it's one that the scripture is asking this morning. And so kids, this morning, have you ever asked God for blessing? Uh, Have you ever asked God for anything at all? Like just uh, uh, doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be a spiritual answer. Like, yeah, I asked him for Jesus. It doesn't have to be that. Have you ever asked him for anything at all? Any nodding heads? Any, anything? Yeah, yeah, I see, Very we don't talk to the kids very much, we should, because y'all have a lot to offer this body. Let me tell you a story about me. Maybe the thing that I interceded and asked for God the most, and it was a dirt bike. It wasn't something spiritual, but when I was about 11 or 12 years old, I thought that a dirt bike was going to make my life amazing. And so I, probably exhibiting more discipline than I ever did in any other area as a child, asked God for a dirt bike incessantly. And I just promised him, I'll I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I just want the dirt bike. Give me the dirt bike. That's a real story. There's no embellishment there. I prayed daily for a dirt bike and even got the chance with my dad to go look at one that was, uh, back then you had classified ads. So we got the number and we drove halfway across town, went there, my dad, I think, flooded the engine So, we couldn't really test it, so we drove away without it, and that's the closest that I ever came to having a dirt bike. It was a big letdown. So, we ask God for things, we ask Him for blessing all the time. Sometimes it's things that are good and godly, sometimes maybe it's a dirt bike. But I want to ask the adults in the room, too have you ever asked God for blessing? Have you ever asked Him to bless the fruit of your hands? And you might be tempted to think, well, what kind of blessing? We were just talking about a dirt bike. I mean any kind of blessing. This morning, we're going to be talking about uh, the kind of blessing that God gives in His blessed kingdom. We're going to be talking about what it is to receive a blessing. Now, I think that maybe in our kind of vein of Christendom, we may have reacted a little too hard to what is called like health, wealth, prosperity gospel. And and we've reacted to it in some sense with like a poverty gospel, forgetting that when God created all things, it was like Eden, the garden, was a place of blessing. And then in the end times, we're told that like the heaven that we're going to be living in, that we're going to be communing with God the Father in for forever, is not a place of poverty, it's a place of like extreme blessing. But for some reason, we've, we've seen that heresy of prosperity gospel, and uh, what we've done is we've thought, no, 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 right now is a time for like complete poverty. And uh, we just, we're not, we don't need to ask, maybe we even feel a little guilty asking God for Blessing. That's something that I know that I I just kind of have like mixed into the way that I think about uh, the things that I ask God for. Just a little bit of poverty gospel, not prosperity gospel, poverty gospel. So what we need to do is remember that the kingdom is a kingdom of unfading, glorious, forever blessing. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 19, uh, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, uh, Peter, you're the rock. Your name actually even means the rock. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. Uh, The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that hell is not even going to be able to come up against you and break you down. And he says something else. He says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. Uh, I think that what he does with Christians is he gives us the keys to the kingdom. And he even says something that's very, if you have like a poverty kind of gospel going on in your mind and in your heart, maybe a little perplexing. What he says is, is that the things that you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. The things that you loose here on earth uh, will be loosed in heaven. And at least some of you right now have to be like, oh goodness, Chris has lost his mind. He's going after a prosperity kind of gospel. No, no, no. Here's what we need to focus on this morning. The question is not whether or not we are blessed, but what kind of blessing God gives. Where does that blessing come from? So, Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to dig into Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19, and what we're going to discover is that a good priest lays a foundation of worshipful blessing. A good priest lays a foundation of worshipful blessing. But we've got to go through kind of three steps to get to what that even means. First, we've got to discover that uh, for the Israelites and for us too, worship is broken. Worship was broken for the Israelites. That affected their toil. That affected their work. So the second thing we've got to kind of understand is that there is unfruitful toil that comes out of broken worship. But then third and finally, we've got to figure out, we've got to find where that foundation of blessing is. Now, a few weeks ago, I preached, uh, 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 I preached on the passage back at the very end of chapter one and the very beginning of chapter two. And, and what we discovered there was that uh, fearful worshipers actually make fearless workers. We discovered the blessings of obedient worship. God had come to the Israelites and said, hey, you have neglected my house. You have not worshiped me as you ought to But if you'll obey me and start building the temple, I will bless you. So in some ways, this sermon is part two. And so if you didn't get to uh, kind of take that ride with us, go back and revisit that because some of this really builds on that theme. At the end of that sermon, I started something that I really want to finish today, and that's actually calling City Church to worship, calling City Church into joyful worship, Why? Because I can't help but see the similarities of where we are and where Israel was. So first, where's the broken worship? Where's the broken worship? Look with me in verse 11. What we find here in verse 11 is that the Israelites had returned to Jerusalem, but they had not yet rebuilt the temple, but they had just gotten started. In verse 11 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. Okay, we're going to stop there because that's, that's a confusing thing for God to do. So far, he's been talking to some of the other leaders in Israel, but here he says, Haggai, I want you to go talk to the priests. So in uh, Israel, there were 12 tribes, and there was one that was called the priestly tribe. Uh, they were the Levites, the Levitical law. Le- uh, Leviticus would have been the, the book for the Levites. This is where priests would have understood what their role was, what they were supposed to do, even what they were supposed to wear. They were supposed to be wearing these robes and uh, sashes, that, uh, holy turbans. They were supposed to be wearing breastplates as they kind of went about the process of like leading God's people in worship. So he's going to go, Haggai is told by God to go and talk to those Levites. And what the Lord wanted to do was give a short and easy test. Have you ever taken a test? The, yes. Yeah. The Lord is about to give his priests a test. We're going to find out. It's a little unusual. But what they want, what's happening here is is that the Lord is going to the priests because their job is worship, and Haggai, the book of Haggai, is all about entering back into worship. These priests, these Levites, would have been in charge of leading God's people in singing, In praying, and most importantly for this morning, in making the sacrifices. The temple was no more. The place where they would have made sacrifices uh, just was laying in ruin. And so he goes to the, the priests and he gives them a very short and easy test. They should know all about the law. They should know all about worship. They should know all about the sacrifices and what made things clean and holy and what made things unrighteous and unclean. So read with me in verse 12. We see this strange test come to light. If someone carries holy meat, God sends Haggai to ask these priests, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and takes and touches the fold to bread or to stew or to wine or to oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? So if, if, you, if you were a priest in that day, you would have made sacrifices. There would have been meat that would have been consecrated. And uh, if, uh, the question is, if you take that meat, you're not allowed to touch it, but you put it in your holy kind of garments and you go and you deliver the meat where it goes, but then you were to take that garment and go around touching things, does it become vicariously holy? That's the question that he's asking the priest. Very interesting kind of question. What do they say? The priest answered, No then Haggai said if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body very specific if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these does it become unclean and the priest answered and said it become it does become unclean man what an interesting thing it's a strange test but they pass they know the basics and the basics are this it's very hard to be holy It's hard to make things holy. You can't just go around taking holy juices and like touching things and making them holy. It's very hard to be holy. It's very easy for things to be unclean. Now, parents know this intuitively because there's no such thing as like a clean handprint. Nobody goes around like touching things and putting cleanness on them. But our kids do go outside. They play in the mud and they come back in and they start touching things and they're unclean. We, we know something about this, even just from the natural world. More than that, here's what we find out. We find out that the Lord is talking about a specific kind of unclean, and that's uncleanness that comes from contact with a dead body. If you're, if you're in contact with a decaying dead body, can you go into the temple and make things clean? They say, no, no. He says, you're exactly right, but he says more. He says this, so it is with this people. It's a metaphor, you see. He's giving them a test that becomes a metaphor. He's teaching them. So it is with this people and this nation before me. My people, declares the Lord, and so it is with every work. And what they offered there is unclean. So what what God is saying essentially is that unclean people make unclean offerings. If If you just want like the bullet point on it, unclean people make unclean offerings. Their worship is broken. They have not rebuilt the temple. They have not sought out right worship. And so what's happening is their worship is broken. They don't even have the place that they would be doing worship. So their prayers can't rise up. Their sacrifices can't be made. This is an unclean people with broken worship. Now here's, here's the, I'm going to fast forward a little bit because we could spend a lot of time there. But here's what we need to understand about that uncleanness of the dead body. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor within a metaphor. It's, it's inception. Because what he's talking about is not the temple What he's talking about is the dead body of the ruined temple laying in the middle of the city and making everything unclean. You see, Jerusalem, the city that should have been filled with God's people and God's place, had a dead body in it, the ruined temple. And it was making everything unclean. Even the works of their hands are unclean. That's what these verses are saying. And so I think that we, even today, even though we don't have like a temple that we're going to, even though we're not uh, Israelites, we're not Jews, we have something that we receive as a word of warning here. Neglecting the temple of worship. Neglecting worship is sinful and can make you unclean. It's kind of a heavy word this morning. Why is this such a big deal? It's because the broken worship actually led to unfruitful toil. That's the second thing that we're going to discover this morning. Haggai the prophet is told by God to emphasize their material shortages. He's told to emphasize their material shortages. Go to verse 15. It says, now then consider. Now this word consider is something that comes up again and again in this book. God is trying to get his people's attention saying, consider this, consider this. Consider this, and here he says it again, now then consider, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple, how did you fare? And what he says is, is that when you went to go and get your materials that you had worked really hard for, your tens became 20, sorry, your 20s became tens, your 50s became 20s. When you go out for all this thing that you've worked for, you discover Man, there's just not enough there. This harkens back to the very beginning of this book where he talks about the bag with holes in it. They'd gone out and tried to accumulate as much prosperity, as much material, as much blessing as they could with their own hands, and they keep on putting it in a bag, and it just keeps on leaking out the bottom. God's going to tell them why that is. He says in verse 17, I struck you. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Now, this word struck should maybe even conjure up like ancient Egypt when God's people were in Egypt and God goes about the process of striking Egypt so that he uh, would move his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. God's actually doing something that's kind of painful here, and he's doing it to his children. I struck you. And all the products of your toil with blight and mildew and hail. Stop for one second. Can we agree that like on the surface, that seems kind of petty of God? You're not worshiping me, and so I'm going to make the product of your toil unfruitful. It's like, God, what are you doing? Some of these people are going, maybe they're going hungry. Maybe they're not living up to the standards that your people should be living in. Doesn't it seem a little petty? Hang on. He says why he's doing this. He said, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. The Lord wasn't being petty. He knew that this people was preoccupied with thoughts, not about him, but about their prosperity. Remember, they're trying to build up their own houses, their own wealth. They're trying to put things away in storage. They're trying to build up paneled houses. And God says, you're not thinking about me. And it's not that I need your worship, it's that you need worship. You need to be worshiping me for your own good. And so I'm like a loving father. I'm going to discipline you in these ways by striking even the toil of your hands. It's going to become unfruitful, it's going to be unfruitful toil. He knew their hearts. He knew that their hearts were focused on prosperity, and it was making them unclean. And here's what he knew. Remember that body in the middle of the city? He knew that that was going to lead to death. And he didn't want his children to die. So he lovingly strikes so that they might turn towards him. This is a good and loving God. Kids, your your parents aren't like disciplining you because they don't like you or they're trying to make you unfruitful. They're disciplining you to guide you along in the right ways because the things that are in your heart might lead to death and they want you to live. They want you to live not just like mediocre, like subsistence kind of living. They want you to live in abundance. So they discipline you just like the Lord disciplines The Lord loves us so immensely that he works for our good. He does not want his people to die in worshiplessness. So the Lord lovingly strikes the fruit of their labor so that it does not rob them of their souls. And what we discover is not just that their worship is broken, not just that this unclean people is making unclean offerings, It's that those unclean offerings make unfruitful people. He says, consider this, consider this. City church, consider this. If you feel like the fruit of your hands is unfruitful, if you feel like you put your hand to the plow every day and it's like not enough is kind of coming back to you, if you feel like you're working really hard and it just feels like you're pushing against a wall, is it possible? Don't know. Is it possible, though, that the Lord is actually like loving, gently trying to correct you? He knows that you're aimed at prosperity. You're aimed at material things. You're aimed at making things bigger or better, and you're forgetting him. You're not worshiping him, and what he wants is your heart. He wants your whole heart. It's a weird thing to say, okay? It's a strange thing to say, consider. Just like God's asking you to consider, do you feel like you're 20s or 10s? Do you feel like you're 50s or 20s? Might God be lovingly striking so that you will return to him? I wonder if that like conjures something in us. I wonder if there's like, almost this like, uh, holy kind of greediness that we have coming out of that. I wonder if there's almost just this righteous covetousness of God's blessing. I think that that's actually what this is designed to do. Not to make you like lowly, but to make you like greedy for the glory of God. It's a good thing to be greedy about, to be covetous of being near in God's presence. I know because I talk with so many of you that it's just like, man, I want to be near to God. That's such a good desire. It's so good. I think that what God might be doing in Haggai is giving us a roadmap to decide what it is that we can do to know and understand where to find that blessing. So here's the third and final point this morning. We need to understand where are the foundations of blessing. What is the foundation of blessing? So we've got broken worship. We've got unfruitfulness in our toil. Now let us go to try to find the foundations of blessing. Go to verse 18 with me. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since that day that the foundation of the Lord uh, uh, sorry the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. consider he says it again, "Is the seed yet in the bard? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing but But from this day on, I will bless you. That's what he's telling his people here. From this day on, I will bless you. Where do God's people find God's blessing? The day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. The day that they started working out in obedience and completing that foundation. The day that they finalized the foundation of the place where worship was going to happen. The Lord says, from that day, I will bless you. God's people are obediently building God's house of worship and what God is doing is calling his people to worship. Without the temple, there's no house of prayer. Without the temple, there's no place for psalms, not for the scrolls. Without the temple, there is no place for the sacrifices. This left God's people unclean And made them have unclean offerings. And their unclean offerings made them an unfruitful people. But now we see that the foundation, the foundation of God's blessing is worship. I'm going to say that one more time just in case we kind of trailed off. The foundation of blessing is worship. If you're greedy for the blessing, if you want nearness and presence with God, if you want to be blessed in your life, not in a material sense. We're going to talk about that here in just one moment. If you just want to be blessed, worship is the way. Worship is the door. The foundation of blessing is worship. I want to just maybe even pause for a second and let you kind of like ruminate on that a little bit. How do you get to blessing? You worship how do you get to blessing? You worship. That's how you get blessing. You worship the God of this universe. You don't don't necessarily put your hand to the plow and make businesses and uh, work real hard. You don't even necessarily like spend lots of time with your kids just like loving on them. As good as those things might be, if you want the blessing, you got to be worshiping I hear this actually come up. We know this kind of intuitively. I'll talk with people about where they're at. I'll say, hey, how are you doing? And and the answer is like, oftentimes, not that great. I feel like I haven't been in the word very much. I feel like when I come to church, it's just like I'm in a dry season. You're saying the same thing that I am. You're saying we know that blessing, the foundation of blessing, happens by worshiping the God of this universe. That's how you get it, that's how you get it. But what kind of blessings are built in that foundation You see, what's confusing here and where I think that a lot of like the health, wealth, gospel stuff like just goes way wrong, like literally takes a step outside of Scripture and like heads somewhere else as they take a a small truth that they see in the Old Testament and they apply it to today. So if you're worried like, man, this really does seem like we're going like the prosperity route, understand that I'm not talking about material, but I get why some people do. Because in the Old Testament— God literally tells his people over and over again, if you are obedient in your worship, I will bless you. And so oftentimes that is connected. Even in this passage, it is connected with material blessing. What's going on there? How are we to understand that? Is anybody else like a little bit confused by that? I am. What you have to understand is what God was doing in the Old Testament. He had this little people this, this group of people, this, this group of Israelites, and they were like a small child. Now, in, in our home, uh, we're not above bribery, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting that what God is doing is bribing his kids, but I, I will say this. One of the ways that you go about, like, disciplining and, and bringing up your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord is to provide for them materially. Now, it would be totally inappropriate if uh, Jackson or Ryan or Henry in their, like, 40s, I was, like, trying to get them to do the right things by, like, shoveling money at them. Like, that's wicked and evil. But when they're kids, hey, if you do these kinds of things, if you do these uh, kinds of things around our house, chores or whatever, maybe an allowance is something that is, like, appropriate. My kids are just really perked up. They don't look like it. We don't do allowances, not because we have anything against them. But it, it is true that it's just like uh, you can, with little kids, try to actually like, bring along good behavior. You can try to bring them along in their hearts of understanding by blessing them materially. And that's what God's doing in the Old Testament. But how do we understand that today? Today. It, does that mean that if you work really hard for the Lord, or if you worship really hard, that all of a sudden you're going to get that house, you're going to get the car? No, we don't, live, we don't live in the law like that. Jesus Christ has come and completed the law. The blessings that we receive, rather, are blessings of the Spirit, They're not material kinds of blessings. If you worship hard enough, you're not going to achieve material success. But worship will beget some kinds of blessing. Our blessings are spiritual. Now, blessings look like assurance of faith. Faith. Do you, do you struggle with faith? Do you, uh, do you have like, uh, times in your life where you're like, I'm not even sure if I'm saved. I don't know if I really believe this stuff. I, I, I'm not sure that I'm really a follower of Jesus. Do you, do you struggle with that? I do from time to time. What I find is, is that I struggle with that most often when I'm not engaged in worship. When I'm engaged in worship, there is a certain amount of assurance of faith. Do you ever feel like far away from God? Like not just in terms of like faith, you just feel like you have removed yourself, that somehow you have put lots of distance between you and God the Father. I, I know that I do. And I know that lots of time that is accompanied by uh, sin That I'm just struggling with. I'm I'm really focused on myself. I'm being super prideful. I'm like groping for control in my life. I'm looking at things that are dishonoring God. I'm like not treating my wife very kindly. I'm like neglecting my responsibilities as a father. When I am sinning very often those are the times where I feel most far away from God. But when I'm worshiping when, when I am in, uh, actively involved in prayer, when I'm like meeting with people to like sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with them, when I'm like meeting with people and like talking about Jesus and just uh, wrestling down the good news to where it is like just massaged into my heart, I feel near to him. Worship is the foundation of blessing. Do you want to be blessed? Worship is the foundation for it. Worship is the pathway towards that kind of blessing. Here this morning, God's call to worship. Here this morning, in Haggai, through that prophet, through the inspiration of the Spirit, through the writing down of God's Word, to know that this is actually just as much God's Word as if we heard it audibly this morning. He is speaking to you, and He is calling you into a season of forever worship. But here's the other key. It's not just like he's saying, hey, I just need you to worship me. I just want you to worship me. I'm calling you into worship. What he is also doing is calling us into blessing. He's literally saying from that day onward, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to partner those two things together. You're going to get in some sense, like even the title of the sermon this morning, is that we need to understand that a call to worship is a call to blessing. How do we know that? How do do we know that? We see that maybe here in Haggai. Maybe it's something where you're just like, yeah, I feel like maybe I see it. I feel like when you uh, try to describe those times that I feel most assured, most connected with God, I feel it. I, I know that I'm in that room. Help me understand it through the lens of the gospel. The foundation of blessing is worship. When we hear God's call to worship, we need to know and understand that he is ushering us and calling us into eternal blessing. Why? How do we know that? The unfinished foundation of the temple was like a dead body in the city making everything unclean. We've already talked about that. Now, what we're seeing is that that foundation is laid. It's finished. They haven't built anything on top of it, but the foundation is laid. It is finished. Now that God's people have laid that foundation, they can pursue worship and God says, I will bless you. What we see in this is a pattern for us. A call to worship is a call to blessing. How can we lay that foundation? Maybe even if you're a note taker, you've written that out there. It's just like, how can I go about laying this foundation? I want the blessing. I want it through worship. How can I lay that foundation? Here's the good news of the gospel. You can't do it. You can't lay the foundation. Why? Because it's already laid for you. It's already laid for you. What I want to do this morning, and I'd invite you, if you want to, to skip over with me to Isaiah chapter 28. I'll pause very briefly for anybody who wants to to join me there so that you can see it and read it alongside of me. Isaiah 28 verse 16. God tells us who is laying the foundation for worship. He's telling us who laid the foundation for blessing, and he says this, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line. I will make righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. And water will overwhelm the shelters. Then your covenant with death will be annulled. And your agreement with Sheol will not stand. I wonder if you hear what's happening there. God the Father is laying a firm foundation, and it's in this precious stone. It's in this cornerstone, and he's laying it in Zion. Do you get the idea that he's talking about the temple here? You shouldn't. He's talking about a temple. He's talking about the foundation of Jesus, this precious cornerstone. And, and here's where I want for us to get real specific. What does that cornerstone do? What does that cornerstone do? It it makes justice one line and and righteousness the other plumb line. And whoever believes in this stone will not be in haste. But it says something very specific in verse 18. Your covenant with death. You remember that dead body that's laying in the middle of the city? Your covenant with death will be, what does it say there? I don't want to say it. You say it. What does it say? It says it's annulled. Your covenant with death is annulled because of this precious stone that's laid in Zion. Who is the stone? Who is the stone? The stone is Jesus. Death will be annulled. Now, will be is a specific thing. Remember, this is Isaiah, who's in the Old Testament. and He's saying that this stone is laid and it will annul death. It's pointing forward to the one who is the true foundation, who's the true temple, that temple that will be uh, broken down and in three days rebuilt. It's talking about Jesus. You see, it takes death to pay for that dead body in the middle of the uh, city. So, Jesus, the true temple, was torn down. He was the one who took death. But then he was also rebuilt. The temple here was torn down. Even the foundation was dismantled. And here God is telling this people, rebuild it. But they can't build this kind of temple. They can't build an everlasting, eternal, unfading, glorious foundation like God can. He's the one who lays it. And he lays it in Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the high priest that lays the foundation of worshipful blessing. You remember this morning, I'm saying that like a good priest, a good priest lays a foundation of worshipful blessing. Jesus is the great high priest who lays that foundation of blessing And what we discover in 1 Peter chapter 2 is that there is a royal priesthood that comes along in this order of Jesus. And and what you need, if you're wondering this morning, okay, I get it. I understand what's happening in the Old Testament with Israel. I understand even necessarily what is happening in the gospel, that Jesus is the one that is the dead body and takes death for us, that we might have a firm foundation for worship. I understand that that worship is the paved foundation for us to receive blessings. Blessing, but I wonder what it is that we're supposed to be doing today. Like today, today. Like as in t- this day, right now. What are we supposed to be doing? And this is where the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers can help us out. The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers says that in Christ, all Christians are priests. Did you know that? You're a priest. When God the Father says, hey, go to the Levites, go to that priestly group, ask them some questions about the law. Now, through Jesus, you're a priest. The great high priest has made you a priest. I'm going to say it again just so that you can go, hey, I'm a priest, I'm a priestess. God has made me a priest. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that there's no special class of people who mediate the knowledge, the presence, or the forgiveness of Christ. Not me. Not Andrew, not Carl, not somebody wearing a silly collar, not anybody. You. Nobody stands as an intermediary between you and the forgiveness of Christ, between you and worship. Nobody stands between you and blessing. Nobody does that. Christ is the firm foundation. Every Christian, that is to say, every priest, every Christian, that is to say, Every priest has the right, the authority to read, to interpret, to apply the teachings of Christ. Not only the right, but the obligation. You have the joyful obligation as a priest to lead themselves, to lead yourself, to lead a family to lead one another, to lead non-believers towards one thing and one thing only, and that's worshiping God the Father, His Son Jesus, in the power of the Spirit. If Jesus is the high priest that laid the foundation of worshipful blessing, then you can stand on it. You can worship in it, and you can invite other people to stand on that firm foundation. You're a priest. I want to invite you. I want to call you. I want to ask you to consider doing that. Andrew and the team are going to come up here, but I want to make one last point. It's just two simple sentences. City Church really must be in unrelenting pursuit of the glory of God. Worship is serious, and it is joyful business, and it's blessing. It leads to blessing. You see a good priest, and that's you, A good priest lays this foundation of worshipful blessing. We kind of build on top of it. And I want for City Church to hear that call towards worship. Hear that call as a call towards blessing and to know and understand that you are a priest responding to all of that. I want to read something. I came across something this week. Uh, it's real brief, um, but it is really powerful. Um, John Piper's church back in 1990 was not Bethlehem the way that we think about Bethlehem today. Maybe you don't think about Bethlehem. You don't know anything about it. But in 1990, it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything like what you're talking or what you think about. And they were actually going through a, a lot of controversy at the time. I found a, uh, I found a, a brief snippet from one of his sermons where he talks about the kind of church that they're going to be. He talks about them being a worshipful church. I wanted to use it, because his words are better than mine, to call City Church. Finally, there has been some controversy considering worship style. Should we shout to the Lord or not? Should we sing contemporary worship songs or hymns? Should we lift our hands to the Lord or not? Should we be extemporaneous or planned? Should we have a fine culture or a folk culture? Are the services for outsiders or are they for insiders? If you've been around, you know my answer to all of those is yes. The balance the balance we strive for in all these ways moves around as we try to understand the needs of our people and of our visitors. But one thing stays the same, and it's the essential thing. Worship should be God-centered, Bible-saturated, blood-earnest, not stuffy, not somber, not glum, not boring, not decayed, not joyless, but also not cavalier or frivolous or petty or careless or silly or trivial. In worship, we go hard after God. We long for God. We feast on the glory of God and of grace. That's the kind of church that I want here too. So, so I want you to feel enabled as a priest, okay? I want for you to come to this building expectant of glory. It, it's hard. Honestly, I'll tell you this. The truth is, I've done a lot of things in my life. One of the hardest things that I've tried to put any amount of effort into is like creating and cultivating an atmosphere primed for worship, but not trying to be manipulative. And all of these things, all of these questions, all of these controversies that they were talking about here I get them. I do. I really get them. What I want at City Church is balance, and I actually need your help as a priest, as a priestess. I'm calling you into worship, and when I call you into worship, I'm calling you into blessing. So what I want you to do this morning is to stand. Uh, We're actually, we've moved our time of confession uh, to right now, That's what we're going to do. So everybody stand up. Uh, We normally typically do like the confession and assurance piece on the front end. But I do wonder this morning whether or not there's been something, some part, some, some, some identification of a dead body laying in the midst of your city. I want to give you just a moment of silence. Bow your head. Let the Spirit just kind of work on you. Where is that? Confess that. Lift that up to the Lord. God and Father of grace, we together have so many dead bodies that impact the way that we worship. Lord, we need to rely on Jesus as the one who dies for those things and secures a firm, precious foundation for us to worship you. Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray that you would make City Church to be the place that worships. Lord, I, I know and I have faith that you will bless us with every good gift, every spiritual blessing, everything that we need for a life in godliness if we are worshiping you. So we pray and we ask you for that, and we pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning just with God.